Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn and I'm here with Matt Leach and this is part of our LA Adobe Max series. We're actually back in Sydney for That's this right. one and regular listeners will know that we didn't have time to do the intros while we were over there. So we are just trying to kind of burn through them now and, and get them all done. So this one's a good one. This one's Mike Rigby. Mike Rigby, old mate. Yeah, it's it's one of those people, long time on the list, I guess. Um, long I mean, time on the list. Yeah, and not only, you know, since then he's moved to moved to America. He's big wig now at RGA. Big wig. Yeah. Um, he was wearing a big wig. <laughs> well, he's just a very tall guy, so I don't know if he was wearing a wig or not. But yeah, lovely guy. We, we know lots of mutual friends. We're sat in the hallway for this one, so there's lots of background noise, but it was actually a pretty good spot. It was kind of shielded from a lot of what was going on. The press room had already shut down. Yep. Probably a good thing because that was pretty noisy as well. Yeah. So I loved how we started this one off because we had to talk about what he couldn't talk about, but he actually couldn't tell us what he couldn't talk about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like it's such, such NDA stuff with a lot of things that they're working on. So long term, so many ecosystems get affected by a lot of the work that they do that, you know, we couldn't talk about what we couldn't talk about. And so we're like, so what can't we talk about? Oh, I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, which was great because we don't know anything anyway. He, so. he actually had a list of things that I think because his handlers or, you know, he's I don't know. His handler. I don't know. Some, <laughs> someone from... Like Rigby the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> the lion. So someone from um, RGA was obviously making sure that he didn't talk about them either. So he had a, had a list that we actually couldn't... We weren't allowed to see either. We couldn't either. see either. Yeah. <laughs> Not that we were trying to peek or anything, but they work well on such amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, Mike gave a talk over there. It was really great to connect with him. You know, it was obviously. great to see him on stage as well. Like he... He is such a good speaker. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal speaker. And I and really yeah. feel like I've owned like Australia has ownership over Mike, even though he's obviously not Australian. It feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it feels that way. I'm I sure feel, people in so Manchester proud. are thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and and this is obviously part of our Adobe Max series. Big shout out to Adobe and HP for getting us out there. This is likely to be the last episode that we publish as well so i guess a bigger shout out publish publish for the series publish for the series yeah it was great it was so amazing we sort of ended up with nine episodes recorded in la which was a lot more than we expected with some people and we got access to them and we got to have a conversation with with these people and bring that conversation back you know back here and create episodes out of it which was just an opportunity that we were really thankful Yep, absolutely. Also need to mention, want to mention Streamtime, who's been our major sponsor for this year. They've been incredibly consistent, very helpful in, in every way. I use their software, really love it. One of the things that I've been working more and more with them on, on different projects, and they do these two-week kind of sprints, I guess, to kind of improve the product. So literally the product's being improved every two weeks, which is pretty amazing. Like I, uh, I imagine other people are doing similar things, but like two week turnaround is, is pretty quick. And they do all these feedback sessions. They do a lot of crowdcast kind of stuff where you can just jump in and kind of ask any question. I just love the fact that they're so open. Yeah, it's pretty transparent mm. the way they do things. And, um, and obviously with Never Not Creative, which is an offshoot, obviously from there, like very community grassroots based thing that we've spoken about a couple of times on the podcast. Yeah, doing a lot of good things. It's been a big year for Streamtime and obviously we thank them so much for supporting us and getting us around Australia and supporting us on our big trips. If you haven't tried it, it's a free trial, so jump on. Super easy. But let's jump into this episode. Mike Rigby, here we go. Yes, so this episode we have Mike Rigby 
Mike is designer, vice president, executive creative director at RGA based out of New York City. He's previously been at Chase Creative Consultants, Pentagram London, True North, Landor, Interbrand Australia. He's known as Riggers, the Rigster, Rigsy. Have you picked up any new nicknames over Rigbot. here? Rigbot. Rigbot. Yeah. See, that's Rigatron. pretty. <laughs> no, more techie these days. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Well, thank you. You're one of those people that's probably been on our list since the very early days of ADR. And I think you and I and all, all three of us probably worked within about two kilometers of each other for, mm. for a couple of years. And we never had you on the show. But that's okay. We've just traveled halfway around the world when, to finally When did we on. last see you? Was it Brisbane? Uh, yeah, I think it was the design conference in Brisbane a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. We were supposed to talk and then it just didn't happen because it was just chaotic, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, we're um, getting a little bit better at like how it works, yep. how this kind of thing works. This is the most we've done. We'll have done 10 episodes in LA, yeah. uh, which is pretty crazy. Wow. But yeah, um, every time we've come to Brisbane, we've got a little bit better at scheduling our time and, and managing our time, Yep, I think. But yeah, last time I saw you, it was I think it was about one o'clock a.m. in the morning, we were dancing on the dance floor and I was like, hey, <laughs> hey do you want to do a podcast? Do you want to? That's when we should have done the podcast because that was, that was good times. When, um, when we finally got you, yeah. Uh, strange enough, we realized we didn't know much about your kind of early history, your early, early biography. Social. Yeah. Mm. And there's not much online about it either. Yeah. So who is Young Riggers? Young Riggers. Well, um, so I mean, I, I started my career in England, obviously. I'm not American, as you can probably tell. In the north of England. And I uh, studied at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston, basically. Yeah, it's a great, awesome course. Great place. Yeah, my first job was, a, as you mentioned, at Chase, Creative Consultants, and a wonderful company, very ideas-driven, and, you know, pulled together, like, lots of different things into a kind of boutique, do a little bit of branding, you know, great at print, and uh, I think one of the only companies in the world to have been in DNAD every year of their existence. No way. Yeah, wow. I think it's, like, over 30 years. Every year they've consistently got into DNAD. See, which, that's a real rod for the road back, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so it's <laughs> like, you know... You don't want to like, yeah, be the per first person to not get in. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of pressure for all the new right. creative directors. Yeah, but it was an awesome place to work, and it was a very nurturing environment actually. So it was a great place to start. Yeah, university taught me how to think, and then the chase taught me how to design. I really mm -hmm. learned from great masters. You know, Lionel Hatch, who was an amazing writer, an amazing typographer, and he taught me so much. Ben, who was co-founded it with Lionel, you know, brilliant ideas man, very introverted, not one for public speaking, but just incredibly thoughtful person. Uh, I remember the first kind of, it wasn't necessarily a crit, but I had come up with this idea for a personal project, which was definitely a big part of Chase culture. And I'd shown it to Ben and he's like, yes, nice idea. And then he literally sat there in silence, staring into like some <laughs> middle distance <laughs> for about five minutes. And I was like, kind of like a young junior, like quite intimidated. I was like, you okay, Ben? After about five minutes, <laughs> thinking. And then he just carried on thinking. And then he gave me this amazing idea that just improved my work infinitely. And it's just, you could just see his brain working, going through the cogs, going wow. through the wheels. And then just came out with this, you know, it's kind of like processing. And then, yeah. you know, some vastly improved idea came out the other end. And so, yes, I grew up at a chase, basically, um, you know, and one of the great parts of the story that's perhaps not often told is that I uh, made friends for life there, and two of my good friends, Ollie Maltby and Chris McLean, we started as three juniors at the same time in the same company in the same team. Wow. And it was a really weird structure because there was the three of us and then two creative directors and no middle layer at all. Oh, so wow. we had us, yeah. fresh out of school, <laughs> and two creative directors, Pete Richardson and Alan Heron. The dads. Were, you know, brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And so we were like the kids that run riot and stuff. And 
we worked together from the beginning and what's really interesting is that we're still working together now so all three of us are now in new york mm. of course we were all at interbrand australia together we live i don't know 200 meters away from each other in williamsburg now oh and wow. you know chris is a creative director at wolf hollands new york ollie's ecd at interbrand new york and i'm rj so yeah it's cool it's kind of like we've uh, it's a really nice story we literally started our careers together and have kind of grown up together and traveled the world together really followed each other's lead around the world yeah so it's pretty uh, pretty cool it's very unique isn't it it's kind of cool yeah and um chris mclean we have had on the show yes. um quite quite a while ago now yeah, Ollie's the next one. Yeah, awesome. Ollie did a lot of teaching at Tractor um, for ah, quite a while. Like yeah. that's that's how I met Ollie, and it was it's like, brilliant. It's, it's like new design rat pack, kind of. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, so where are you guys going next? No, I'm yeah. Japan. What led you? I mean, that's what happened at college. What mm -hmm. led you to decide um, the creative industries in the first place? Really good question. I think when I got really interested in design was at university and like, I think university really lit a spark in me and I got really interested in design when I understood really the power of design as a tool to help people, business, the world essentially. Up until university I'd studied design formally, it was quite academic. Mm -hmm. I went to you know, college, a local college and I'd studied form and typography and colour and all those really important foundational craft skills. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the craft of design. There was something therapeutic about it, but I wouldn't say it was like my life's mission at that point. And when I got to university, you know, I started to learn about design thinking. There was a huge design for good movement going on at the time. So you may remember the First Things First manifesto was rewritten and republished. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And yeah. it was published by every publication in our industry mm. at the same time in the same issue. And I was like, holy shit, this is mm. amazing. What an amazing industry. I can't wait to go and join this. And that's really what happened to me. I, it just, I basically had an epiphany where I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I can use design. I didn't know design was political or idea driven or it could be you know, a really incredible tool to help people in the world. So that's when it started to get really interesting to me. And then from that moment on, I, I would say I'd summarize my whole design journey is about trying to find new ways to maximize my own creative input and impact on the world and that of my team. And so that's really defined my journey from graphic designer to brand designer to multidisciplinary designer. And to now as well, because I mean, right. your, your official title was business transformation. Yeah. So yeah. That, that kind of fits perfectly. It does, yeah. And, you know, we, we chose that name very deliberately, you know, just to explain to everybody a little bit. So the way that RGA is structured is it's a transformation company. So we try to architect how RGA works to help our clients transform their businesses. So it's structured by business transformation, which is BT, which is the part that mm. myself and an amazing guy called Sunil Radia lead. And together we lead that part. Then there's XT or experience transformation. And then there's MT or marketing transformation. Right. And then we have ventures, which runs across everything we do and design and technology is distributed. So basically, you know, you need to be able to understand today the brands, the business model, as well as, you know, the experiences and services you create, as well as the campaigns and go to market strategy that helps us sustain and grow a business over time. So BTXT empty. Yeah, so that's where it works. And we, wow. call it, we call it business transformation because we basically wanted to call it what the output was. Yeah. It's, you know, essentially mm. what we're trying to do is disrupt traditional consulting. And, you know, we wanted it to be output focused. So mm. transformation is what we deliver. Mm. So, you know, it's not about the process, which is consulting. You know, we're here to help businesses transform. So the name's really key. And the way that essentially it works is we're integrating different things together, which wouldn't usually go together. So business consulting or innovation consulting yeah. as we call it so you know how do you understand the model behind a business or a new business entirely and create a new model mixed with design and technology so you know you can really look at a problem from all kinds of different angles 
which means you can move faster. Mm, right. Yeah. And, you know, just to talk a little bit about RGA and why we did that in the first place. So RGA was founded in 77 by Bob and his brother. So it's Richard and Robert Greenberg, RGA. And um, they were a motion graphics company, actually. They did, like, Superman and all these kind of iconic title sequences and won a bunch of awards. And really the hallmark of their work was it was very technically innovative as well as very creative. Mm -hmm. And Bob calls it the intersection of art and science. Probably a more modern way of saying it is design and tech. And so they've always been operating at that intersection. RGA has changed its business model so many times, but that's ever-present, that design and technology and design at the intersection. One of the other influences would be Medici. So you know the Medici effect, the book, of course. So it's the 14th century. Mm. And, you know, Medici family, one of the world's first wealthiest banking families. And they essentially sponsored the arts, right? And they bought, brought together all these amazing artisans from the world over as far as China. And they brought together sculptors and poets and architects and painters. And they put them together in Florence and ignited the Renaissance, you know, one of the most creatively fertile periods in human history. Mm. And again, it was that intersectionality. Mm. And another really obvious reference would be Bauhaus. So 1919, of course, the Bauhaus School completely disrupted education. And of course, you guys are educators, you'll notice well. And essentially what they were trying to do, I love this line, actually turn art into industry. Mm -hmm. So to create and connect the crafts and the artistry with manufacturing again. And the way they did that was the circular table. Mm. And so, you know, at the circular table, everyone has a seat. You put a problem in the middle and yep. you work on it together. And to me, that's incredible. So that, that we didn't invent those things, but those are the cornerstones to our culture. Mm. And I really love the modern day interpretation of Bauhaus. It's basically a business case for diversity. Yeah. You know, and like I think when I'm most proud of RGI, that's how I think about it is, you know, diversity matters for business. So how can you put together technologists, writers, creatives, business analysts, and you know, come up with solutions together? So yeah, it's a really interesting place to be and work. I remember when you, you'd only been there a little while and you came back to Australia for a speaker tour and you were talking about downstairs in IGA, there was like a room downstairs which had all Oh yeah, it's a prototype studio. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's really cool, actually. I mean, so the way that it's structured is that we have a, a number of studios that help us execute work for our clients. And so one of them is Prototype Studio. Another one would be Presentation Studio. So actually you get presentations, maybe have pr professional presentation designers. That That is a fantastic um, hark back to the, our previous episode that we did earlier this morning, I yeah. think it was, with Mark Heaps. And he was talking about how important that is, presentation, for yeah. kind of any corporate and any sort of C-level, any, any sort Absolutely. of business and how much an untapped thing it is. Yeah, it's such a skill. We have like a full-time team though that does it really well and you know they do RGA presentations. I think what they often do that's most impactful is they work with a lot of the startups that we incubate. And right. you know, a big part of being a startup is how to pitch. And so yeah. a guy called David Isaacs that leads our presentation studio. And then we have Content Studio that creates all kinds of different content from you know frame-by-frame -frame animation to generative. Uh, film, TV, photography. Right. And what you're talking about is Prototype Studio. So Prototype Studio, as it sounds, is a studio where you can prototype anything. Very quick, very agile. They think on their feet and they can pretty much make anything very quickly. And so it's just an incredible thing. And I think the, that's why it's so exciting to be a designer today because I feel like technology, the internet, it's kind of like broadened the canvas for creativity to such a degree that you can now you know, bring to bear so many different tools. I think the other thing that's interesting to say about Prototype Studio is you know, we need to be able to make to actually be able to understand a lot of the time. You know, we've moved from, I think, this kind of theoretical worlds, waterfall processes, yep. you know, huge timelines where you'll get a problem and then you'll come back four weeks later and go, ta-da, here you go. Yep. You know, this world doesn't really work like that anymore. And so we find that 
by linking together thinking and making, it can actually one help us deliver better work that's more richly informed faster. And so we'll get into kind of prototyping as quickly as we can, really. It snaps you out of that kind of theoretical world that you can sometimes be in. It sounds like the people in there will be very technical, but I'm assuming, judging from what you said, they're also incredibly creative. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point. And I think we definitely think about technology as creative. You know? right. And so technology mm. is absolutely creative. Some of the things that um, the technologists can do at RGA are incredible. Mm. It's some of the most creative things I've ever seen. And they're designing with data, you know, they're designing with code. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit magic, I think. It's not technical. Okay. How, do, how do you work with that, though? Because, I mean, obviously, you can't be across all that stuff. So how do you know when to bring them into the picture? Well, I mean, because, you know, RGA, there's about 600 designers at RGA and 350 engineers out of 2,000 staff in total. And RGA is a maker culture, always has been. I yeah. think what it's always been good at is, is product design. That's experience transformation has always been the core skill of RGA. And so it's so baked into everything we do that it's a natural extension, I think. And you know, also we're always going to start with a user need, right? So yeah. when we're building a brand or a campaign or a tool or a product, we're always going to start with like, what does the user need? What does what do pe- real people in the real world really need? And you know, that <laughs> the, the easiest way to get to that is to, to test something with them, right? Mm-hmm. To make something, to prototype something, to put it in their hand, put it in their life and see what happens and get feedback that way. So it's the opposite of top down, basically, hey, we've got a message, we've got a metaphor, we're yeah. going to push it out into culture and it's the brand talking to you. It's the opposite. You, you know, you start from the bottom up, you start with a user need. What does this person need and how do we show up and enhance or improve their life or their experience in some way? And so start there, start with that mm. and, and build up from the bottom up and you know, build the brand out of it and around the experience. Is it a surprise sometimes what you get back from those, like the prototype studio? I mean, it's always amazing. Yeah. I think that's the first thing to say is like, like I said earlier, it's a bit magic. You know, you know, it's like when you see something move for the first time. You know, motion design is just you know gives gives your work a new dimension quite literally. But when it's also interactive and it's clickable and it's useful, mm-hmm. and you know, you see someone play with it, then yeah, I think it's absolutely key. And I think also, you know. We don't actually know how to make a lot of things these days. You know, technology is moving so quickly. Yep. And so you have to be able to make, to be able to understand what the hell you're doing, to understand the tool. And, you know, that actually being at this Adobe conference really brings that home because, you know, obviously you're seeing new tools being made, software designed, etc. And it's, I was thinking about it earlier. It's really interesting. Like designers, creative people were the first people to use this technology always right mm-hmm. who are the software designers making it for us yeah making yeah. it for us yeah. and so really when you think about it our job is pretty important because you're taking these new technologies and you're trying to make sense of them for real people mm. make them useful make them valuable make them beautiful if you have to you know and that's a really important role that i think is only going to get more and more important for us and there's been a lot of talk about that here this year one of the themes for the conference is democratizing creativity as well. And so a lot of what Adobe doing it is trying to make it so that all the creative tools that you have are used across multiple projects, multiple touch points. So you can take from your phone, start doing some editing, film some stuff, quickly move it across, yeah. take it back and start moving really, really quickly. Yeah, right. And I, honestly, I kind of feel that's, that's good design a lot of the time. Like good design doesn't always have to be changed the world. It's just like, make something easy for someone to use. I mean, that's kind of what Apple mm. have done for decades now. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, just make technology useful and easy and intuitive and yes, beautiful. Mm. So yeah, I think I love the idea that we as designers have a role in humanizing technology, you mm. know, and that's only going to, like I say, become more and more important. So anyone that's worried about the job, 
I won't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I like that because there, there has been a lot of talk about that there has been recently. Loads. You're talking about um, AI and, and everything like that. So you're very positive about the future. I am. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, AI is a, is a really powerful tool for us to use as designers. You know, one of my heroes, Kevin Kelly, he's a former, you know, kind of editor of Wired magazine. And I love his take on AI. He talks about AI as a service, which is something that's readily available now. Mm-hmm. And he compares it to, you know, how technologies like electricity have worked in the past. And so he talks about the idea that essentially when you're turning the ignition of your car, essentially what you're doing there is calling upon the power of 250 horses, right? 250 horsepower. When you actually use electricity and when you use, um, you know, kind of the idea of AI, essentially what you're doing is conjuring the power of 250 minds. And I love, you know... That is a cool, It's, it's cool just so analogy. cool the way that he yeah. talks about stuff. And AI is a service. And he says, look, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we used to... Let's just take the example of a pump, which he uses, like a water pump. So it was human muscle to begin with, then it was animal muscle. And then, of course, electricity was introduced and you, you make an electric pump, right, which is far more efficient. And now you would add intelligence. So it becomes a smart pump. And in many ways, it's distributed exactly how electricity was, you know, distributed across wires and electrical network. Intelligence is distributed across the cloud on, on a network, right? Cloud network. Mm. And we use it in a very similar way. So mm. I'm excited about what we can do with, uh, with AI and how it can help us design, again, for real people in the real world. Yeah. And, you know, just, just make things more useful and more, more understandable, more mm. beautiful. I think AI can help us do that. Did you get to go to Snakes last night? I didn't. No. So Sneaks is always really interesting where they show all the kind of new stuff they're working on and it's all about like the amount of applause they get, which means that yeah, that might get funded. It seems like it's a bit of an internal kind of pitch and I think the yeah. top 10 kind of make it to the stage and then from there, they'll judging on the audience reaction, you know, some of those end up making it into products. Right, that's yeah. cool. That's a nice idea. Yeah. It's so start- it's very rudimentary design. They've all made their own little UIs. And, yeah. yeah. So it started that kind of whole conversation because there was a bunch of stuff they showed last night where yeah. everyone was like, okay, that's my whole job. <laughs> just done sort of thing but then it started that whole conversation where like well there's other things you could be doing sort of thing or, or what would you prefer to be doing which then started a whole different conversation but yeah I have a question just just harking back you were talking about I think it was Sunil that, yes. that you work with mm-hmm. I'm really interested just to see how what that relationship is between the two yeah. of you and how you work together yeah cool good question yeah I mean Sunil is awesome he's fantastic he's a bit of a bit of a freak like a good freak and he's got a really interesting background. So he was like a marketing geek. He was also a creative director and a writer. And then he, um, he went to the Berlin School and, you know, did a, a kind of MBA kind of thing and then started his own company, which was incredibly successful. And I'm very thankful to say that he actually closed his own company to come and join us and um, help us build business transformation. And he's been a revelation since he came in. And together, we kind of lead it. So I obviously lead creatively and, and, and design, and Sunil's an awesome leader and really a brilliant business analyst. And it's called innovation consulting. So it's actually helping clients unlock new opportunities. And you know, we use branding as a lens through which to look at things. Mm. And it's interesting because you know, one of my frustrations, I mean, I absolutely love the branding industry, but I think what I became a little bit frustrated was a number of things. One, we don't make anything. Right. So it can be really frustrating, quite theoretical. And two, sometimes in execution, so advertising agency might take your work and try and make a 30-second ad and just completely forget about what the hell you were trying to do in the first place. <laughs> They'll use the font or something. Right, or maybe. Maybe the color. You know, yeah. Do you do your solid and use your font uh, in the wrong weight? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and, and so it became like, how do we make, and also how do we get involved sooner 
so that we can actually understand the business mechanics a little bit. And so what we're trying to do here is we actually get involved, like I say, a business might come to us and ask us very open questions like, how do we innovate? What is innovation for us? Or how do we compete with Amazon? Or what's the future of hydration? The three, literally three questions that we've been asked. And you know what Sunil's brought in is an expertise in econometrics. So we can actually look at financial data. So we can look at what we call the TAM or the total addressable market. And then we use the brand and say, okay, so what does our brand stand for? And what opportunities does that unlock? I guess it's a different way of thinking about equity, right? So like we stand for this, we've, we've got a legacy here. This is our vision for the future. So that means that actually looking at this total addressable market, here's a really good product market fit for us. And here are some new business ideas off the back of it rooted in financial data. So we literally present a financial model to a chief technology or chief financial officer and we also provide and present some prototypes that have been user tested so they can see wow this is a business it's, it's real up. it's clickable yeah. we have insights from user testing wow. and now then here's a model around how we create value for ourselves and others year one two three and then okay do we want to go and make this do we want to back it and it goes to the board and yeah sometimes they say yes sometimes they say no and we go and make stuff and it's awesome. It's absolutely fantastic to have a fan financial model to look at. I know it sounds a bit geeky, but I've seen it, you know, <laughs> presented in a room and they love it. They love mm. financial models. It's kind yeah. of a little bit magical. And it's live, so you can tweak it. So if they disagree with some of the analysis, yep. they can see how certain decisions we've made can be changed and what repercussions that might have, positively and negatively. And actually, I want to say that is another creative thing. Like, technology is creative, so is econometrics. Like, running yeah. day, and because ultimately what you're doing is creating a financial model for something that doesn't exist yet. I mm. mean, that's one of the most creative things I can imagine. And we've got this amazing guy called Stalin. Uh, um, <laughs> it's his real name it's spelled differently um, but yeah like, he's awesome and he's um, based in our LA office and he's our econometric specialist so he did tons of modeling for Samsung before he joined us that's one part of what we do so that's on the kind of like the innovation consulting part of business transformation of course we have a really great branding practice as well so mm -hmm. we'll create new brands all the time for the likes of PepsiCo you know name strategy packaging identity and campaigns and things like that and you know obviously we work with our experienced transformation team along we do a lot of product and service branding but essentially it's back to the intersection again mm. so we've built business transformation it's been a huge success story you know we've tripled in size over the last few years and the reason is it's built on top of an awesome company which is LGA yeah. and it's back to Medici it's back to the Bauhaus so how do we bring together business brand technology experience you know because you need to be looking at all those things to be able to help a business transform ultimately what we're trying to do is help I think show a better way of doing this to be honest and if we have competition I would say probably the traditional consulting firms you know, and you can see that there's this, this kind of like consolidation in the industry where they've been buying design companies and creative shops and things. Yep. And I think our advantage is, if we have one, is that our culture, you know, because we're a culture of collaborators and connectors. And you think about consulting, it is probably the ultimate siloed industry. You yep. buy a partner and, you know, it's a case study business, right? So here's the perfect case study for your problem. And of course, there is no case study for today's problems because it's not been done yet. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's a big advantage for us. We have a cultural advantage and I think they have a cultural impediment. Can you imagine how hard it must be for them to understand creativity and to operationalize creativity? Mm. And so that's, I think, a strength. Another one is we're creative people, we're designers, and we're very comfortable with ambiguity that's creativity right you don't know where the hell you're going yeah. until you, you know you get there and you get there step by step much faster than a traditional consultant would so that confidence with ambiguity and business transformation our version of it has a huge advantage in that design is integrated right from the beginning mm. so because design is integrated you get out of this world of theory 
you know, because you're making, you're testing, you're trying, you're, and you know, you're putting it into real people's lives. Yeah. And that creates a feedback loop where you think, make, think, make, thinking. The making makes the thinking stronger and vice versa, and you move forward in iterations, which is something you said at the beginning, Flynn. And it's a totally different way of working. And you know, not to say it's perfect, but I think it's it helps us move faster and do better work mm. that I think is more useful. You get so animated talking about it, it's, it's pretty infectious. You were talking about the cultural part of RGA, mm. and which is great because it leads me to one of my questions in a nice little segue. There's been a couple of people actually from Australia that have moved over to RGA, been kind of plucking a couple of, of people from, from Sydney and Melbourne. And so my question is, how do you... Someone I know is working at an advertising agency, <laughs> and they're about he's, he's about to pitch you. Some he's a friend no, of no, his. No, 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 no. She's, already, no. she's already got the job. I just know that she's gone to RGA, and I don't know her that well. But my question is, how do you, when you have someone new come to RGA, how do you onboard them with that culture? Like, is there a crash course? Did you go through some sort of crash course? Because you talk about it so passionately, like it's in your blood, it's in your DNA. But yeah, how do you onboard like new people into that culture? That's a really good question. My advice is, well, a number of things I usually say. The first one is be patient because it'll take a while. I think RDA is like quite an introverted culture, actually. It's got a really strong culture, but it's under the surface. It's not like, I don't know, it's not like we've got manifestos emblazoned on the wall and things, you know, and I like that. You know, I like that it is very introverted. So that's one thing. It's not immediately obvious. So be patient. I think I always say, listen, just listen. Mm. Just listen, just be in meeting rooms. And it's like a kind of osmosis. Right. You know, you just absorb... Another thing I would say is just show up and be useful. I think, you know, a lot of people come to RGA, not just in my team, but generally, I think they join because they don't want to become irrelevant and they, they feel a bit intimidated when they come in. And it's mm. like, don't be intimidated. You're going to immediately find that you can contribute and you will be useful. And you'll know things that people don't know here. So just bring all that to the table, but also just learn, you know. And, you know, I think RGA is like, it's your own experience to shape, really. You know, it's your own learning experience. So, so what do you want to do? But that, actually, Robert Wong, who's a Google Creative Labs creative director, I was um, speaking at a conference and he was speaking and he said that. He went into mm. Google and he was very intimidated because he was perhaps more traditional designer. Right. And he said he just decided quite quickly, I'm just going to show up and be useful. And I love that. It's That's just good great advice. advice show to and be anybody. Useful. Just yeah. show up and be useful. Just bring what you got, you know? Finally, one other piece of advice that I give, give to people is just try stuff. I think RGA, it just respects people that try stuff. Just like, don't be too precious. Don't go and sit on something for two weeks. Just come and say, hey, here's five things I was thinking. What do you think? And four of them might be wrong, or five of them might be wrong, but it doesn't matter. Like, mm. if you've moved the conversation forward, you've moved the project forward yep. by just eliminating things or trying things or cracking it even, maybe. So show up and be useful, listen, you know, be patient because it takes a long time. Just like, start trying stuff. That's good advice. Talking about onboarding, yeah. what about you coming to New York? Yeah, wow. Well, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that <I> mean, happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was brilliant, you know, because the timing was so cool because I arrived, so this is, that shows you how long I've been here, four years. I arrived at the last World Cup. Yeah. You know, I live in Brooklyn and, I, man, it's, it's just amazing. What an amazing time to arrive because every culture is represented. Yep. And you know how, I mean, the great thing about New York is just the melting pot of different people and cultures and backgrounds. And it was like the Puerto Ricans were out, you know, like every corner you went, every different block was a different country. And they had the flags out, they had the music playing, mm. playing dominoes and stuff. And I was like, wow, I mean, that's why I moved to New York. Yeah. You know, it's just to see all of this incredible diversity. And I couldn't have arrived at a better time. I absolutely love New York. I mean, absolutely. It's not for everyone. But it is for anyone, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, that's true. Um, it's, it's hard work. It's busy. It's noisy. It's smelly. But I find there's like, almost like a polarity to it that carries me along. Mm -hmm. It lifts me up as opposed to pushing me down. And that's, 
but I think, yeah, it, it definitely gives me an energy. There's just like a noise about the place. And I think, honestly, as a creative person, it's incredibly inspiring. A little overwhelming, but you know, if you're going to try and test yourself and, and do things, then why, why not try New York? Why not come here, you know? Mm. I've found it's been very good for me. Yeah, I've loved every minute of being here, really. Biggest culture shock? Well, I think biggest culture shock, I would say, is probably... Joining RGA, the size, mm -hmm. that was the first thing, because I think I worked, when I first joined RGA, we were, we were working on one of the biggest pitches RGA has ever done, I kind of got dropped into the middle of it, it was an agency at Record for this huge company, which thankfully we won, and I remember walking into a room, and there was like 30 people in this room, and I was like, what are all these people doing? <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> 30 people working on a project, and then you realize, oh God, yeah, no, I now understand why we need 30 people, we're actually building something, and you know, they're all off making this, this, this incredible product for this pitch. Uh, so that was, a, that was a big shock, like the size of it. I think another shock, a little bit of a shock anyway, was the size of the clients was mm, a yeah. shock. Because these are the biggest businesses in the world and the chain of command is vast. And so, you know, it, that was a bit of getting used to because, you, you know, you're used to working with much smaller businesses and smaller teams. So the size of it was definitely something. I also think that there's a bit of a difference, I think, in the type of work that, this is a generalization, it's not always true, but the type of work that clients buy, it's, it's kind of less, a little bit less idea-driven, I would say. Oh, really, right. A lot of, certainly a lot of English clients. I think Australia's probably somewhere in between. That was a bit, yeah, just, just, just understanding what kind of clients were looking for was a little bit different. So there's that. But generally, I would say most of the shocks were positive. You know, yeah. it's just all, all good. It kind of shook me out and it was exciting to be here. But, I, you know, one of the surprises was just how nice everybody is. Because yeah. I don't know why, but, I, you know, it's New York, innit? You're expected to be just kind of like quite a... People are horrible and impatient yeah. and dog, rude. dog eat dog. And yeah, exactly, and dog eat dog. And yeah, that's not been my experience at all. It's quite the opposite. New York is bloody lovely, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the Maori, but they're else they're awesome. And the you know, there's just an energy about the place like that I love. You know, I think sometimes let's just say England, for instance, which I love and I'm absolutely proud of being Englishman. But sometimes there is a bit of a stigma if you if you don't win or if you failed, and you know it doesn't bloody matter. It there's just no stopping them. <laughs> you know, this don't care. It's like, okay, on to the next one. Let's get going. And, you know, I'm going to keep trying and keep trying until, until something works. And I love that spirit, mm. you know? I think it, that's, that's the energy I get from it anyway. Now, you're over in LA for this event, and yes. you've done your talk this morning. Yeah, I mean, straight before this. Yeah. So I've been, then, I've been literally talking for three hours yeah. <laughs> straight. <laughs> what, what was the talk about? So the official title was Building Connected Brands to Transform Businesses and Move Culture. And a lot of it, or a little bit of it at least, was just one of the things I've been talking to you mm. about today, really, how we have to change the way we think about branding from this top-down, metaphorically-driven industry into something that connects what we call the story and the system together. So starting with the user needs, starting with product services and experiences, and then laddering that up into a story is how we work, and I think that's how we should be working today. So, yeah, there's a lot of talk about that, but it was... It wasn't just like, here's what we do. It was a bit of a how-to. Mm -hmm. It was a bit of a breakdown the stages of how we, you know, what makes a connected brand, you know, how do we think about it? How do we then change the way that we think about identity? And the very simple way of explaining it is, so we used to build brands through what we call media habits. So there's basically three ways to reach an audience, which is basically listening, reading, or watching. Yep. So, you know, it's radio, it's papers, and it's TV. And in that world, it was much easier to reach an audience, right? You knew where people would be, and you would basically have a business or, or a client that would have a message, a product, and 
advertising agencies would wrap it up in a metaphor and you would shove it out through those channels and yep. like that's how you build a brand and wrap it, it up in a metaphor that is great it's so true though it's <laughs> metaphorical advertising right and of course today we build brands through technology habits which are totally different mm. you know so there's little kind of remote controls in your pockets you know everything from like um, swiping to pinning to liking to sharing of course and they're all technology habits that are inherently bottom up that's not brands right that's you mm. doing that stuff mm -hmm. and so the power dynamics between brands and people have changed forever so we really need to understand behaviors and technology habits to build brands today and start there and so when you're actually starting to design an identity it means that we've had to kind of rethink the building blocks of yep. identity a little bit visually and so the way that we try and talk about it in the most simple terms is signifiers and behaviors so we talk about signifiers are obviously things that visually signify the brand like let's just take facebook for instance yep. like blue the typeface, Lucinda Grand, you know, even the voice, things that signify the brand. But then, of course, you got that little button, the like button that gets pressed four billion times a day. And that's the little branded behavior that fuels the entire platform. Of yeah. course, infamously, that's what Facebook's flogging to advertisers, right? Your likes. And, you know, those signifiers and behaviors together form the identity. I mean, ultimately, Facebook was nothing until the like button came along in the timeline. It was yeah. absolutely nothing. And they're the things, the systematic elements that made that brand. Mm. And that's identity. I mean, that, that's the key element of the identity is the interface and the experience. And so you need to be able to at least understand and have some fluency in, in interface to design brands today. Mm. Wow. So we also wanted to just maybe see if you could talk about one or two projects before we do as a bit of a segue into I've heard a little bit about the Bob Greenberg Museum yes. I was flicking through your Instagram and oh, then yeah. I noticed that you guys build an app for it as well mm. and there's like an audio tour can you tell yeah. us me um, more yeah. importantly and also subsequently the audience all about this because I'm super fascinated by it yeah cool okay so um, Bob Greenberg is obviously our CEO is an absolute legend in the industry I think he's as close to Steve Jobs as we've got in our industries remarkable man and he was asked by the Cooper Hewitt to curate an exhibition it's called Bob Greenberg selects and so basically he goes through the Cooper Hewitt collection and picks out his favorite items and then we designed an exhibit for it um, and it was an awesome project it's fantastic Dieter Rams is a huge influence on in RGA and Bob and he actually reached out to Dieter to ask him to get involved with the exhibition which he did which was fantastic well, it's like picks up the phone and yeah, calls Dieter yeah pretty much you know, <laughs> Bob knows everybody and Dieter agreed to let us use a lot of his stuff and also his 10 principles in the exhibition which was great and you know he um, got involved a little bit on the art direction as well which was cool and so, yeah, it, it wasn't a huge exhibition, but it was beautiful. We worked with Tashika Mori, who's an um, amazing architect, and she designed all of the cabinets and fittings and things. So, yeah, like you say, Flynn, we, we designed a connected app. So this being Bob Greenberg's exhibition, he wanted to make technology a big part of it. And so we did away with any plaques, any, any kind of information whatsoever. And we used a custom app that we built, which uses computer vision. It's really simple. You download it, and all you do is you open the camera, you point it at whatever you want to know about, and computer vision recognizes what that is, the AI, and it brings up a series of audio tours that we recorded. So you can basically listen to people like Michael Beirut talking about typewriters and his favorite design objects. Oh, wow. It's so cool. Yeah. I would recommend, obviously, you can't it's, come to the exhibition. It's but like a whole education in, in an exhibition, yeah. isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah, we had like Ellen Lupson, Paolo Antonelli, you know, wow. these amazing luminaries, Debbie Millman did the voiceover as well, and they picked out the favorites. They don't know the whole thing, they just do their favorite objects. And so you've got Michael Beirut talking about the design items that shaped his career in many yeah. ways and just these beautiful little anecdotes that just gave the whole collection a whole new dimension. Absolutely, yeah. You know? And um, yeah, he put it chronologically. So, And he chose objects, Bob, that were obviously beautiful design items, but uh, in the day, 
the most disruptive items out there. Things like the Sony Walkman, for instance. Oh, yeah. It's easy yeah. to forget how disruptive that is. It made music a portable experience for the first time. And, you know, I think um, objects like that, obviously a lot of Apple stuff, some RGA stuff in there as well. Yeah, it's cool. And then, of course, you can save the tour as well to your app and things like that. So, yeah, if you want to check it out, you can actually still download it, I think. It's just called Bob Greenberg Selects. Oh, great. Um, I'm not sure if it works outside of America. It might do. Check it out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously you won't be able to see the exhibition, but you can go through and listen to the audio tours, which are worth a Oh, that, worth one, a that, that is something I will do. Now, we wanted to talk about case, like other case studies as well, but obviously there's a lot of stuff you can't talk about, right. isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously we're working with big businesses, Part of my talk today actually was I just flashed up the, the top 20 brands in the world yep. um, based on Interbrands study that they release every year. And last year, oh, yeah. uh, last two weeks, they released a new one. And um, we're actually working with seven of the top 20 brands in the wow. world, which is unbelievable. I think uh, what staggers me about that is just think, just then top 20 brands, just think of the influence they have on the world. It's extraordinary. It's more than most governments. Yeah. And for better or for worse, right? And so that's another reason why I like where design is at and branding and is right now because we get to help them be better in every way. But back to your question, I think, yeah, there's obviously we're working on stuff that's extremely sensitive. In some cases, it's existential. It's like, what is the future of our business? What is the future of this? What is, and that stuff is obviously extremely sensitive. And we yeah. can talk about that, which is completely fine. So a lot of our work is NDA and, you know, it can take a lot, long time before that reaches the world, if it reaches it at all, because innovation is really, really hard. Yeah. It's not easy. And so a lot of stuff doesn't make it, but I think if it does, it's a long lead brand. Sometimes it does make it and you still can't talk about it. That's completely fine. That's just the way it is. And so, yeah, just obviously have to be respectful to our clients and protect privacy at all costs. But um, I can talk about plenty of other stuff, Dale. <laughs> we've, got, we've got some awesome projects going on at the minute. Give us, give us the one you're most excited about. Most excited about. That you can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I think the one that I'm really, really excited about, we haven't got into design yet. But it's this amazing new technology. And the story behind it is incredible. I'll try and do it some justice. I'm probably going to get the science wrong. But essentially, it's this new technology that's been created by a guy called Greg Altman, who's a really brilliant chemist, and, and Rebecca, his business partner, who's also a chemist. And they've invented a new technology, which is essentially a liquid silk. So they own the copyrights of the molecule. And it's really almost like a magic technology. So let me explain. So what it can do is it actually can remove carcinogenics and microplastics from cosmetics and fashion. So one of the things we don't know yet, there's this knowledge gap, and I think it's going to become a mainstream issue quite soon. This is, is, that this is where venom comes from. It's like our, our clothing is basically full of stuff that shouldn't be on your skin. Yeah. And you don't really know this, and it certainly shouldn't be in the environment. And so you'll have things that any, any kind of additional property your clothing has, like waterproofing or what's called wicking, where it absorbs, kind of releases sweat and things, or it's more flexible or it has a luster. That's all added with chemicals, right, obviously, yeah. which can be very harmful to you and very harmful to the environment. So when we wash our clothes, these microplastics are going back into the environment and causing untold damage. Like we literally don't know how much of an issue this is right now but it's a big one. It goes into the food system and you know, it's killing the base layer of the food system because microorganisms eat this plastic, can't digest it and die. The big plastic problem we all are aware of, right? We, we have this like trash island vision of these yep. huge bottles and tires, but it's not, it's actually the microplastics that are a huge problem. And so anyway, so long story short, it can actually remove the, the need for plastics and harmful chemicals whilst at the same time giving the same kind of benefit. 
So it can actually be more waterproof than harmful chemicals. Wow. Yeah, it can be more flexible. It can stop pilling, which is when your clothing actually you know, rubs and make your fabrics last longer. Mm. And of course, in cosmetics, there's things that shouldn't be on your skin that are in skincare. So of course, liquid silk, it's completely biocompatible. So it, it just works with all types of skin and it can actually make your skin lighter and it can get rid of wrinkles. It's honestly amazing. And depending how they split the molecule, Greg was trying to explain this to me and obviously I don't understand it, but he was like, depending how it split the molecule, it gives all these different types of benefits. And we're still fine. He's like, he's got, I've got 120 benefits and I'm going to get to 2000, you know, and he's just like, oh my wow. God. Wow. And I would, I would say, I would liken it. Why well, I'm so excited about it. I would liken it to food before the organic food movement came along. And you're right. like, what's in our food right what, what are you doing with the manufacturing yeah. process what are you doing to animals you know mm. all, all of this kind of stuff that came out when the organic food movement came along and the difference is this is one company that owns one owns the copyrights of a molecule wow. that can help usher in this idea of almost clean clothing you know which is really interesting and ultimately what greg's trying to do i'm trying to help him he's trying to create a green chemistry company you know that can kind of disrupt traditional petrochemical yeah. industry one other chapter to the story, which is even more amazing, is that Greg's wife, who's also called Rebecca, Rebecca Altman, she's an amazing sociologist, she's done TED Talks, and her father was one of the pioneers of the petrochemical industry, and he made a lot of the technologies that made plastic possible at a mass scale. Ah. Wow. And so he talks about recycling as his redemption. And so like his daughter's on this mission almost to clear the world of plastic, and almost undo that that legacy with her father, with her husband. Wow. So you're just like, oh my God, I could not write this story <laughs> yeah. any better. Could I get any more excited about this? So <laughs> it's just a dream project. We're making the master brand. It's called Silk Inc. at the minute, but we're going to rename that. And then we're going to create a fabrics fashion brand and a cosmetics brand. And what's cool about it, it's a bit like Product Red where it's a partnership. So mm. we're going to like work with some really big brands that I can't reveal, but exciting brands in the world to yep. create these silk projects, liquid silk projects. And hopefully it's going to usher in like this, this, this new green chemistry kind of movement. Wow. Yeah, that is super exciting. <laughs> so when you think about that kind of work that you're doing now, <laughs> yeah. compared to when you left college, like that's, you just could never have fathomed that this. Yeah, and that's why I got so excited at uni. Yeah. That's why I got so excited because you're like, wow, look, I mean, just apply design thinking to any of these problems. And that's the great thing about working in branding is that you're working with these companies that are incredibly influential, that are doing big things in the world. And, you know, your job is to help them, help them succeed. And, you know, just look at what happens if you do succeed. So it's very easy to get up in the morning when you're doing that kind of stuff. Not that we're doing that all the time, you know, I'm just saying that's the thing I'm most excited about. Very cool. Fantastic. That brings us to time. Yeah, we're, we've, we've done it. Thank you and so much. And maybe you get a break from talking for the next couple of hours. <laughs> just go yeah, sit, sit like quietly. Busy. Yeah. Well, some, someone was talking about staring at the wall. Questlove Quest was on the stage yesterday. We've, we've, we've spoken about it a little bit on the podcast in the last couple of episodes where he was just saying, you know, we need to allow ourselves a little bit of time yeah. to get bored, right. to let creativity hit. Yeah. Like no music, no podcasts, no... You can listen to this podcast, obviously. You know, no TV, no Netflix, nothing. Like just sit down and stare at the mm. wall. Yeah. It's like just once or twice a month. It's like, yeah. And just just I reset. I might do that. I might <laughs> do that. I'm in that room for like 24 hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been talking too much. Well, um, and so you're back to New York soon. Yeah, I'm heading back tomorrow morning. Yeah, and back to the office. Yeah, well, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a Thank pleasure. You. Thanks and, for coming on. And how can how can people find you if they want to find out more about you? Uh, I'm a, at Mike Rigby, so it's just my my name with an at in front of it on, That's uh, easy. on Twitter and Instagram. So yeah, say hello. And um, yeah, I mean, just one final thing is like I do think that. You know, any young designers listening to this, it's like you really are needed. You mm. know, you really are needed. And I think, you know, there are a lot, a lot more problems than there are designers and creative people. 
So I think, yeah, let's get into it. Very good. Very positive. And Matt, where can people find you? Matt underscore Leach. Circles, circles, circles. Circles, circles. I'm Matt Flynn Tracy on pretty much everything. And you can find this episode or more at AUSDesignRadio.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud at AUSDesignRadio. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, sir. Thank you.